0: I'm dying. Okay. (laughs) What is up? Welcome to episode number eight of Director Podcast. That is Ocho. My name is Kurt Schneider.
1: And I'm Kina Wetzel.
0: And as always, this episode is brought to you by Eightfold Creative. I am really excited for you guys to hear from our guest today, Ryan Stack. Ryan has directed some of my favorite music videos, and he is also the EP and owner of the production company Pops and Clout out of Brooklyn. Also, both myself and Keenan are sick today, so Let's I... Let's get po-
1: to the call. All right. Sorry.
0: Hey, Ryan. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today.
2: Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: So let's just get right into it. Kind of tell us what what's your story? How did you, how'd you get into directing? Did you kind of always know that you wanted to direct, or how did that come about?
2: Uh, yeah, I initially got into filmmaking and, and directing actually through, uh, I guess, through design and, uh, and animation. Um, I went to school for graphic design and was always just really interested in, you know, making things move, and, and whether it was animation or, you know, filming you know, stuff on my, my crappy mini DV camera back in the day, and then kind of augmenting it in, uh, in after effects or something. I was just very interested in, in kind of making things move. Um, and that, I guess in a, in a nutshell is kind of like, you know, how I initially got into, into filmmaking and everything. I didn't really, uh, I didn't really go to film school. I didn't really, you know, learn much about film while I was in school and just kind of played around with stuff in a, in a post capacity. Um, and just kind of, uh, you know, once I kind of caught that that bug, just tried to immerse myself in as much, um, you know, as, as, as much filmmaking stuff and as many filmmaking projects as I could in school, and then uh, and then began working more freelance once I was out of school, and and you know, learned a ton from people who had gone to film school, and kind of um, you know tried to tried to approach it from my my own unique uh, perspective, I guess.
1: Was there a like a move to a big city like New York or L.A. Um, kind of in there, or where did you kind of start? What was your grassroots like? Where you started filmmaking, and then did you make a big move to one of the big markets?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I grew up way back when in, in Missouri. Actually, I went to all right, grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, um, and then I went off to school in Pittsburgh initially, uh, and then uh, Providence later on. I transferred. Um, then I, I guess my first big city move was to San Francisco where I worked at, uh, at Apple for a while. Um, then I ultimately moved to New York and that's kind of where my, I guess my career specifically in filmmaking, um, kind of, I guess began, I guess you'd say that's where I kind of like hunkered down and was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a production company here and, uh, um, you know, make this my, my primary career at this point.
0: What what was what was Apple like? What were you what were you doing for them?
2: Um, so I, I actually when I was at Apple I was working in the human interface uh, group, which is I guess it was kind of the the interim career for me between being um, you know a graphic design student coming out of school and and uh, kind of a a stepping stone between that and filmmaking for me. Um, I really I worked on the the team that basically designed the, uh, the user interface for the iPhone, the iPad, macOS 10 at the time. Um, so I was involved in all the, you know, the design iteration on various features of, of the iPhone or macOS 10 or the iPad. Um, you know, anything as small as, uh, you know, a little 16 by 16 pixel icon for something to, you know, more, um, I guess comprehensive, you know, user interface or something for a specific product. Um, For example, like back when, I mean, this is quite some time ago now, but back when, uh, when Apple and Google were collaborating on the, the maps app and Apple wasn't doing their own maps thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I designed the, the kind of transition to come into street view where you kind of like zoomed into this, this, uh, into the map itself. And then the camera kind of flicked up. That was one of my, my bigger contributions to, uh, to everyone's iPhone experience, you know, however many years ago at this point, um, so yeah, just kind of different, different little elements like that. Um, and throughout this period, I was also very interested in, you know, in the ideas of video. And again, like I mentioned before, just in, in post and experimenting with, uh, with different ways of making things that I was designing move, um, and kind of slowly progressed from being more of a, uh, I guess a user interface designer with an interest in filmmaking to being a filmmaker, kind of with a an interest in user interface design, and just kind of jumped ship at a certain point and decided that that was what I wanted to do.
1: It seems like you had a very strong background in post production and design. What made you want to start your own production company and kind of do, you know, that level of you know uh, production? Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I think it was honestly like. Uh, I think at the time when I started it, I thought it'd be a lot easier. It's definitely a very, very challenging job, and when you're touching every element of production—from you know the the creative development of an idea through production and ultimately in the post—it's it's, it's uh, there's definitely a, a ton of work that goes into that. Um, right. I think I kind of did it in a sense, just out of uh, I guess out of just necessity. Like I, you know, I was for a while hitting up, you know, different production companies around and trying to get repped and stuff and, um, you know, got a rep in the U.K. through Riff Raff, but was kind of having a little harder luck in the U.S. getting a rep here and it was just kind of at a certain point, like, you know, screw it, I'll just make my own production company mm-hmm. and uh, and did that and that's kind of how Pomp and Clout came to be. Um, and then what was initially kind of a, a one-man uh, operation that I was running myself, Uh, kind of purely for my, you know, my projects uh, that I was directing or, you know, animating or whatever it might be, um, quickly kind of bloomed in the past, I guess, two or three years into more of a full-fledged production company with, you know, a roster of directors. Um, We have five currently, including myself, uh, and, you know, a a very dedicated small team of of people who were, uh, you know, constantly working day in, day out to, to execute all these projects for myself and the other directors on our roster.
0: So you're, you're both, you know, you're both the executive producer and, and also a director. How does that kind of change the way that you deal with agencies or, or the way you deal with your other directors? Because, you know, obviously they know that you know how to direct as well. How does that kind of affect those relationships?
2: Um, I mean, I think for me, it's, it's the sort of thing where I have to kind of make a conscious effort at times to, to take one hat off and put another one on. Um, I try when I'm directing to, to at least be obviously aware of production realities and know, you know, what's, what's feasible and what isn't. And I, I feel like I can, I can kind of, uh, you know, anticipate production hiccups along the way or things that might be, you know, a little more challenging while writing a treatment or something as a result of that. Um, But I also at the same time, try not to be, too limited by it, and I think that that kind of um, you know that natural push and pull between producer and director on a project is like healthy and needs to happen to kind of um, to push projects to you know as, as far as they can possibly go. Yeah, absolutely. But um, so when I am you know working in a in an EP capacity at the same time, I you know I'm obviously very aware of the the emotional uh, elements of direction and and you know how directors you know, get, get to a point where they, you know, they're obviously incredibly invested in a project, probably more than anyone else on many projects. And, um, you know, they may have their heart set on, you know, getting, you know, one specific piece of gear on set or one, you know, crazy VFX shot they want to get or whatever it might be. Um, and I think I can kind of feel their, their pain a little more in those capacities and try to, uh, you know, try to do whatever I can in my power to allow that to happen. Um, I think also at certain points though I can, you know, kind of talk to them as a, a director and kind of, you know, maybe kind of talk shop a little bit about like, well, okay, if we couldn't achieve this, maybe you can still, you know, communicate that idea or get that point across through this other way that maybe is a bit more, um, you know, a bit more feasible on budget or on schedule or something like that. And kind of, kind of take more of a, uh, creative solutions to production problems approach. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in general, I try to I try to not do both of those things simultaneously, and I kind of try to, you know, purely adopt one of those roles and, and shift over a little bit when when needed on uh, or when I need the other the other hat to be slightly on.
1: How do you go about selecting what projects you do? Do you have first dibs every time it comes in, and then you kind of decide? From there, I want to do this project or not, or how does that typically work? I know obviously sometimes they're probably asking for a specific director on a project, but if just a bid comes in that it's for your company rather than a director, how, how do you decide that?
2: Um, I, I think we try to, you know, for the most part, they tend to come in for a specific director. Um, sometimes they will come in for a couple, um, or sometimes they will say we need this certain, you know, this certain look, or we want something similar to this thing that this director did, which obviously implies that they... You know, probably want that director. Mm-hmm. Um, I I definitely try to uh, to juggle both, you know, my schedule and everyone else's schedule, and kind of know what's on everyone's plate to determine who would be kind of most available for it um, in conjunction with like the, the best creative fit. Um, but for the most part, I think when stuff comes in, we kind of we kind of tend to naturally know just who it needs to go to kind of based on the brief and everything mm-hmm. um, and as well as schedule. So it's, it's kind of, it kind of like a project comes in and then we determine which director it goes to if it doesn't have a specific, uh, um, a specific targeted director, I guess.
0: So do I mean that kind of seems like it's a good example of having a diversified directing portfolio because if the, you kind of sound like you clearly know who it's going to, meaning you've kind of got all the – everyone has their specific niche. Do you do you have like yeah. overlap between directors or have you kind of like, you know, carefully picked your directors so that you're kind of fitting in all these different areas?
2: We're definitely kind of trying to do that, that approach of kind of having our directors each have their respective strong suits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have a small enough roster at this point that we don't really have too much crazy overlap at the moment. I think some of us have, you know, slightly – Similar approaches at times, um, but but everyone seems very firmly re- like rooted in their own um, their own style and their own approach. So you know if the, if we have a project that's maybe more you know docu style, for example, maybe it goes to Jay, and something that's more fashion oriented, it might go to Alan. Um, something that's maybe more VFX oriented might go to me
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, or Anthony. You know if it's more if it's more of a comedy tilt, um, and then we have a couple of new directors, Reed and Rader, who do like a very very uh, unique style of um animation involving green screen and 3d environment creation and stuff so they very much have their own look as well um and i think because of everyone having those very strong kind of true through lines throughout their body of work we we're definitely able to know right when something comes in like who who's the best fit for it huh well
0: and so you guys i know you do commercials as well but it, it's mm-hmm. really clear you guys do a ton of music videos how what's, is there a bidding process on that? If there is, what, what's that like?
2: Yeah, there's definitely a bidding process. I mean, there's the way that basically the process starts from beginning to end is that a commissioner from a label will come out to multiple production companies and, uh, and ask them for, um, for treatments from, you know, directors. So let's say, you know, this label goes out to five production companies and they ask each production company, you know, for, you know, for who they think could be appropriate to this, this brief that they send out or who could be, um, or, or maybe they have a specific person in mind that they want to grab and they're, they're like, we get you know this person, this person, this person, and this person and this person and this person from these different, uh, production companies. Um, all those directors are then shown this creative brief that comes in with the, the, uh, request from the commissioner that, you know, maybe says anything as vague as like, you know, we want something, you know, uh, LA in the summer or something, or or we want you know um, something with performance and maybe it's kind of like got a modern approach to it. Anything from that to something that's like hyper specific and like you know we want to be like running through a subway and you know uh, I don't know you know there's a performance on the subway or something like that. Like any sort of specifics that that might be included. Um, and then you know very similar to commercial work, that's kind of a starting point that the director takes and writes their treatment in response to that. Um, And then at the point that the commissioner and the label and management kind of decide on which ones they're into, which one or ones they're into out of the treatments, then it tends to go into a bid process at that point um, to determine, you know, if this idea can be executed on budget. Um, You know, because they are music videos, we, you know, we always work on a pretty, tight budget on these things um right you know so it's it's the sort of thing where we kind of know how to work efficiently to get to get stuff done and to uh to achieve a vision and we also you know are constantly you know pitching on projects so we're very kind of tuned to what what is feasible on budget and have a rough sense you know while writing the creative that you know okay this this will fit into you know 30k or 50k or whatever it might be um and we try to write ideas with that in mind so that we're not you know selling someone on something that they're not going to be able to afford in the end. Um, But yeah, then, you know, the video is hopefully greenlit, budgets approved and everything. Um, We go into production, shoot the thing, do post on it, deliver it and uh, deliver it, you know, with a a drive and a bow on top and (laughs) the process is done at that point, so
1: how did you start getting those relationships with, uh, commissioners of record labels? Was there like they saw one in your work or how does that work about, you know, getting those relationships?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think for us, um, I, when I was kind of doing Palm and Cloud more as a solo, uh, solo site kind of before it was more of a production company, um, I'd lucked out and kind of got in touch with a handful of commissioners at different labels, whether they were small, you know, independent labels like, uh, You know, Diplo's Mad Decent label, or Fool's Gold, um, or you know, some larger majors like Atlantic or uh, Columbia or something. So I had some like direct relationships with commissioners through my work. Um, And then when we kind of formed Pump and Clout into more of a legitimate production company, um, you know, we obviously made use of those contacts, and then kind of did a bit of outreach to to make contact with the other labels and uh, and try to. You know, just be in touch with as many labels as we can. Um, so now we're at a point now where, you know, I think we, among some other production companies, a relatively small number of them are are kind of the the go-to um, list of labels or list of production companies that these uh, these labels tend to go out to when they need a video. Um, and we kind of have, you know, despite our our kind of eclectic approach to our roster, I think we have a a kind of unifying thread to our work and a, a level of quality and, and, you know, thinking and polish that, uh, certain labels like to go to when they, you know, when they have a, uh, you know, a track that they want kind of a video in our style for. So, um, so yeah, we've kind of lucked out and, and put ourselves in a position where they've been pretty steadily coming to us. Um, you know, and then if, you know, myself or one of the directors, you'd know, some tracks that they're really into or, you know, sees a show by an artist, and you know, really loves their music. Um, Will sometimes reach out to those labels directly and kind of do it more as a request, where it's like, Hey, we love the music you're making. You know, I'd really like to do a video for you, and kind of we kind of flip the table and and do it the other way.
0: Huh. So, do you give them a like spec treatment almost?
2: Not not necessarily like that quickly. We'll kind of we'll kind of be more like, you know, like, Hey, do you do you want us to write a treatment? Like, we'd love to write a treatment. Do you have any right. songs coming up? And then they'll be like, Oh yeah, that's you know. And you should ask, we have this treatment we need for, you know, the song, uh, here's the budget, you know, and and we'll write something then as opposed to completely going out on a limb and and putting the time into writing a treatment.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, I guess you've kind of already touched on this, but I guess for you, for you specifically, what's, what's kind of your creative process like when, when it comes to a music video from like the time you've, um, the bidding process on, to production
2: um you, you mean kind of more of the creative develop, development process yeah
1: exactly kind of writing with the, the artist as well That's yeah like
0: the artist like the artist amount of collaboration input mm-hmm. and just kind of yeah how, how that kind of pans out
2: yeah i mean i think that um i mean for me i you know i will normally be contacted via you know a a uh, commissioner to label again send the track and i kind of get a Got reaction right off the bat from a lot of tracks where I kind of pick up on some theme, whether it's a lyric or, you know, just some emotion that did um, I connect to in, in the song and just something I pick up on that I think would kind of be the good or a good, uh, I guess a good just backbone or, or common thread throughout the video. Right. Um, normally that could be incredibly vague. Like, you know, the, Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, but, but yeah, there could just be like a a general theme to something like the idea of, you know, progression of time or, um, or like the J Cole video with the dogs. (laughs) Yeah. The J Cole video with the dogs. I mean, that's a great example. Like, that's just like, there's obviously themes of of virginity and and sexuality and that and, uh, and, and innocence and loss of innocence and and stuff um, just lyrically, because, you know, Cole is basically telling you this story directly. So, you know what I thought about that is like obviously this story you know is is something speaking about loss of virginity but how are you gonna show that story if you know he's talking about losing his virginity when he's however old like you know 15 or so like all of a sudden you get into this weird um, this weird realm of showing like a an underage of love story or something like that um, right which obviously obviously happens but I'm sure a lot of uh, labels don't want that to be their video so. <laughs> In that, in that treatment specifically, I kind of started it out with that approach where I was kind of like starting the treatment out in the first two pages and like, you know, this is going to be this, you know, this beautifully shot, uh, love story between two teens. It's going to look like a Terrence Malick film and all this stuff. And then I had one page where I just like scribbled it all out and I was like, no, we're not doing any of that. We're going to actually cast two dogs and it's going to be this adorable little love story between two dogs. Uh, and then on that concept, specifically, I had to hire a storyboard artist for the treatment, um, this guy Carlos that I work with a lot now. And I had to have him draw kind of all the stages of the story because I found it really challenging to find the, you know, existing images of two similar looking dogs across multiple images kind of doing roughly what I needed them to do. Right. So we kind of have the whole, the, tr- the whole treatment was kind of like a series of storyboards kind of communicating, you know, at this point in the, the track when he says, you know, um, you know, trying condoms on to know just how to uh, stroke right. I think is the line or something like that. Anyway, like I draw him like, or we drew him putting his snout into like a socks. So we had like specific setups drawn ready to go and kind of, you know, one-to-one connection to the lyrics that way.
0: Yeah. Um, the, the thing I found really interesting about it was the fact that like you set these, you set these like tight parameters around this idea. So it, you're kind of like trapping yourself in a sense in this world and like, and I get halfway through the video, I'm like, all right, how's he going to keep this interesting? And then like every, <laughs> at every new verse, there was something that was like original and new. And yeah, that was really impressive to me because you have thanks, to kind of put yourself in this it. box, but then have to keep surprising people. And I think you did that really well.
2: Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I mean, I think that's a challenge to my videos at times where like sometimes I, I try to, um, like I come up with a core concept and it's kind of hard to keep it interesting to the end. So mm-hmm. I'm glad when it's able to to do that. So that's, that's a good, uh, good review to hear.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, on that whole shoot, we we shot that over the course of three days and in, in like, you know, I think like 120 frames per second, slow motion. So that any little moment we got was just like, you know, I guess like six times longer than it was in reality, which allowed us to kind of just capture these micro moments of these dogs and kind of, uh, you know, really revel in them in the edit and allow it to, to tell the whole story and, uh, um, and kind of kind of fill in the duration of the video in that sense.
1: So got, you kind of spoke on this is, you know, so some of your videos are obviously very abstract and use a lot of VFX. Um, how mm-hmm. are you able to kind of explain those ideas and are you doing, like you mentioned storyboarding, but other, how are you getting everybody on board to these ideas that you, quite frankly no one's seen? <laughs>
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, it's a big challenge to be honest. And like, I think on a per, uh, project basis, I try to determine like, okay, what is the most, like, if I have this idea in my head, like my first goal as a director is like, how, how do I communicate this to another person's head? You know, like, how do I, how do I get what's inside my head into a form that someone else can digest? Um, and a lot of times that's when I have to determine like, is this storyboard appropriate? Is this like quick video tests, um, or is this, you know, relevant to a video test at this point? Um, mm-hmm. should I hop into After Effects and just mock up like what this, you know, transition might look like or something. Um, and I think I think again, just on a on a per case basis I kind of determine that. Um, I'm trying to think of some other appropriate ones. Oh like like um, the Diplo freak video, that's one of my more uh, I guess vulgar ones. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's all these, uh, these, these setups that look incredibly sexual. And then the camera, like it's a close up of a very sexual moment. Camera pulls back and reveals that it's in fact something very, uh, mundane and kind of, uh, everyday. Um, that one was actually mocked up with a series of like very, very rough cinema 4D, um, mockups with like a, a human model, you know, in place of where the real actor was going to be and kind of pulling the camera back and showing, um, you know, this is, this is the path this camera is going to take. And you can kind of see a, a motion sketch of that joke kind of playing out, um, in the frame. Um, but you know, an approach like that, the, the 3d mockup approach would be completely irrelevant on, you know, another video, like say the, the alt J video or something.
0: Right. Um,
2: you know, and in those cases, I just try to, I try to find images that really communicate what, you know, what is, uh, again, what's in my head. Um, if there's anything that I can't quite find, um, you know, I, I try to mock it up in Photoshop um, to be kind of more in line with what I'm visualizing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's challenging and I'm sure I've had some treatments that, like people get them and they're just like, like, I don't know what the hell this guy's talking <laughs> about. Let's just be nice. Let's just be nice to him and tell him, thank you. <laughs> and like, I'm sure I've completely missed the mark. Um, but you know, but for the most part, I think that yeah, just kind of trying to trying to diagnose the best way to um to communicate an idea, you know, based on the idea in your head is kind of the the approach I try to take.
0: Right. Well, I mean, let's let's talk specifically about the the Vince Staples one that you just did, sure, which sure. which is awesome. Um, Thank you. I've I've never seen an effect like that before. Like, can you talk about how you came up with the idea to do that, and also how you were able to
2: achieve it? Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's again, I think from from song from hearing the song the first time to kind of writing the treatment, that was just this initial approach of like. You know, okay, he's talking about all night. There's this theme of repetition. Um, how can I play with that visually? You know, what can I do to, to, um, yeah, just simply to visualize that. Um, just a common approach to to how I work and how I get thinking about stuff. Uh, and quickly, this idea came up of like, you know, I I don't even know how it came into my head, but just this idea that like, if you're looking at one spot long enough, you'll see time progressing through it. You know? you know, you'll see obviously the sunrise and the sunfall. And what would happen if you were to hold those different POVs, um, you know, for several hours at a time and film from those POVs, like at, at each of those, you know, half half uh, hour marks or whatever it might be? Um, then the the treatment for that kind of, you know, I guess I tried to verbally explain that and then had some some diagrams actually that I drew that showed almost like a top down view of like you know, imagine this is a parking lot and these are 12 different setups where we're going to set up tripods and then have like a dotted line saying like we'll go from one to two to three and then we'll loop all the way back around and do it over again. Um, do stuff like that and then mockups of what the frame might look like where I would find, you know, on, you know, some flicker group or something where someone had done that same effect with still photography and they would you know, taken photos of, you know, um, you know, some beautiful sunrise or something with that, that time slice effect. um, so I kind of use that as a starting point to just kind of try to visualize this, it's kind of pretty, pretty novel. Um, and like, I don't know, like, like, like I guess, uh, and it's like a surprisingly simple approach to a pretty cool effect. And I just tried to like take both of those sides of just showing like, this is how we're going to set it up. This is what we're going to get, um, right from the start and just kind of also let the label know that like, you know, on set, this is going to be a very mundane shoot. Like we're going to be doing the same thing over and over and over because that's just kind of how it, how it has to happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, just tried to be really, really kind of, uh, uh, almost instructional, I guess, with how I, how I broke that one down in the treatment. Um, then once that one was, you know, greenlit after a couple of calls with, uh, with clams, uh, or Mike, um, and his, his management, um and Vince's manager as well we uh we basically began this process of like okay, how like this is the the rough idea to implement this like how are we gonna actually do this on set you know or how are we gonna do this on location and uh played with a few ideas you know of like what if we had you know twelve cameras set up and you know rolled each one of them um at different moments throughout the day, but then quickly realized like okay, that's gonna be Uh, a huge camera rental order of like 12 cameras on a music video budget, which just sounded pretty, pretty insane. Um, And then we quickly arrived at the solution where, you know, we'd have, let's say two cameras and 12 sets of sticks that we set up. And then we kind of go, uh, you know, almost like a a merry-go-round or whatever from, from one setup to the next and just kind of bring our cameras with us and constantly kind of, kind of leapfrog setups where we're setting up one while we're shooting or we're setting up, you know, if we're shooting set up one, we're setting up at two. And then as we're shooting two, we're setting up at three. So we always kind of had this sense of like being ready to move to the next one. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that was kind of the basic approach. Um, but that, that one also dictated that when we were shooting it, that we'd be shooting it basically at, um, really the most like dynamic lighting times throughout the day. So, you know, we'd start at, uh, you know, sunrise in the morning and shoot from, um, yeah, I think it's probably clock sunrise at the time in LA or something like that. Uh, shoot the morning sunrise and then go back to another location for the sunset and film that. Um, and that was a lot of the B roll, um, and kind of the more, you know, the more beautiful vistas that we filmed, uh, around long beach, um, and then Vince's performance setups uh were kind of the more uh I guess the more like intense time wise, like when we were shooting it, we were just like constantly fighting the clock and just kind of eyeballing the sun and like, okay. We get two more to takes two more takes on the whole sequence of all of these really quick and then you know, we'll have um, you know, a total of, of five in the can or something like that. And uh um and yeah, I just kind of had to had to hustle and get through all of them. Um the the uh, DP on that project, Trevor Weinman, um, he and I worked pretty extensively to like figure out, you know, lighting maps for you know, to be able to anticipate where exactly our sun was gonna hit, you know, and used uh um, you know, sunfinder apps on on iPhone to like kind of look at our frame and anticipate like, okay, if you know if the sun is roughly overhead now, you know, it's going to arc this way and hopefully it'll hit like just behind that bridge at this point. And you're kind of framing shots, not even knowing exactly what it's going to look like, you know, at, uh, at the different times throughout the day. Um, You know, we definitely scouted and stuff to have a sense of, you know, roughly what to expect, but it's hard to scout a location and, and take into account, you know, six hours of, of sun progression or exactly how it's going to, it's going to play out every one of those moments. So, um yeah that's fascinating yeah it it was i mean i I tend to get myself into just these really really uh ultra i don't know ultra specific ultra technical uh situations like that and then when i'm interested i'm just like you know what what the hell have i done like (laughs) why do we have to why do we have to dig ourselves out of this but then in the end the you know the final product i always um i'm generally into it and uh you know, I, I go ahead and write another treatment like that. And then I'm, yeah. you know, again, having to deal with these, these ideas, but, oh um, yeah, that one also in post, I mean, you know, the, the production itself was quite uh, challenging to figure all that out. But then the post portion was, you know, equally challenging where, you know, I, I worked with my team to build a, an after effects project file where we basically had to stack every shot as layers in a, in a single sequence. Um, and then we kind of, used masks and pre comps to um, to build the structure where we could like kind of uh, have it somewhat dynamic and somewhat editable, but still at the same time, just because of the the nature of the beast and how we built it. Like one change, you know, at you know a minute and a half in, could potentially ripple effect out to like needing us to change things like all around the the comp to kind of uh, um, to make that work out. So it was uh, it was just like kind of doing surgery on like a, a house of cards or something when, whenever I had to work on that file, but, well, wow. um, but yeah, it worked in the end. So,
0: yeah, that, yeah, that's awesome. All right. One, one more project that I'm dying to know what it was like, the, the route 94 one with the FLIR mm. infrared camera. How, how do you go about filming an entire video on one of those?
2: Um, good question. That was, uh, well, that, that initially came up that idea, um, you know, because the, I think I'd seen some FLIR imagery at the time and I was like around the time that I had the treatment I was really just excited by like the level of detail that you're able to get with those cameras. Like I remembered, you know, from you know, I don't know, like middle school looking at cool FLIR stuff on like Discovery Channel military shows or whatever and just kind of this blurry image. But then seeing Mm -hmm. like kind of how how resolved the image had had, um become in, you know, recent years is pretty exciting. Um so I kind of had this idea in the back of my head and was starting to look into feasibility of renting one of these cameras. And then this route 94 track came along and, you know, was talking about, you know, love and intimacy and, and touch. And I just like this idea of using heat to communicate that idea. Um, and kind of because of this groundwork that I'd done kind of loosely looking into, um, you know, where we source a FLIR camera from and everything we were able to hit the ground running pretty quickly. And, uh, and FLIR um, Fleer brought us one of their their rental units, uh, I believe called like the SC8300 or something. But it's, a, uh, it's an industrial grade thermal camera meant mainly for, you know, industrial applications, whether it's like, you know, you're testing out brake pads and want like a really close up shot of like what the brake pad looks like heat wise as it's heating up and where the friction is to like, you know, testing out... Um, you know, conduit lines in a new building construction to like looking at like, you know, silicone chips to see how it heats up, but just like very, very, um, resolution dependent, hyper-specific scientific needs like that. Um, so as a result of that, the camera doesn't have any onboard recording. It just has like an SDI outline. Uh, and then it has an ethernet jack. Uh, so my DP and I, uh, Adam Donald and a team at Irving Harvey, which is a, uh, uh, post facility out here that does uh, color and and kind of general um, image work like that. Um, we quickly worked to figure out kind of like how how one's able to like tweak you know things like exposure on this and like what does exposure even mean to a thermal camera. Um, and quickly realized that the way to kind of do the the uh, um, the exposure shifts was actually by connecting a laptop via like an Ethernet cable to the camera. So we had this bizarre rig by the end of the day that was like. Uh, first of all, Steadicam mounted. So we took this camera, we rigged it under a Steadicam. It didn't have any onboard batteries, so we uh, we had a cable wrangler coming behind it with power. Um, uh, basically, doing wall power on the Steadicam, which was really bizarre to deal <laughs> with. Uh, seems like that would then, throw yeah, off the balance. They, uh, so, sorry, say again.
0: I said that seems like that would throw off the balance.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely didn't help. Um, maybe, maybe it shows in footage at some point, but he made it work out. <laughs> um and then and then yeah we had like a uh pix 240 sd record or ssd recorder on there just recording the raw um bmt or the raw sdi signal from it um and that was kind of our our uh our weird little clear package um and whenever we'd want to re-expose for a shot we basically have to bring this laptop up connect your ethernet uh, you know, kind of dial the two sliders to be like, okay, you know, our hottest exposure should be, you know, 98 degrees. Our lowest exposure should be, you know, 72 or whatever. Um, and you're basically just like, you're basically connecting a gradient to, like a visual gradient to a um, uh, a temperature scale and just kind of telling the camera, like how it should interpret these different temperatures visually. Um, in addition to that, you have like some, you know, some sense of, of, uh, you know, uh, similarity to, to an optical camera in the sense that you can swap in different lenses and stuff, but the lenses themselves are made specifically for, um, for thermal cameras. So they're like made of like, uh, I believe germanium, like a different material that isn't glass. So you end up with like this weird set of lenses that aren't really meant for cinema use and have to have like, you know, follow focus rings kind of bootlegged onto them and stuff. And, uh, We, we didn't have any lighting on set. We, uh, we, we made sure that the, uh, the studio that we were shooting at, you know, had, had heating and uh, air conditioning control. So we could kind of tweak the overall ambient room temperature to to fit our needs when we shot. Um, and I made sure that we had a lot of like, uh, ski, like ski chemical warmers, like those hand warmer things on set and ice because I just wanted to have some sort of ability to to tweak temperatures as we needed. Um, we ended up using the, the um, ski hand warmers a bit on people's noses because we quickly found out that, um, that people's noses kind of is naturally cooler than the body, I think, because it's, you know, physically away from the,
0: right.
2: I guess, the, the bulk of your body, body heat. Um, so we kind of, before some of the more close-up shots, we'd have people, like, put these hand warmers in their hands and then kind of put their hands on their nose, and then the nose would turn, like, white hot initially, but then you'd, like, see it kind of slowly cool down. And then, you know, we call action on, on the, uh, the moment that it kind of equalized with the body a bit more. Um, so just kind of weird, you know, weird solutions like that, that just kind of had to be quickly figured out to, to make the technology work for us the way we needed it.
0: That's, that's awesome.
2: So the,
1: the toughest question of the day, what's your favorite project you've worked on and why? Oh, real deep. Always a tough one. (laughs)
2: Um, I still think my favorite is uh, I did a video for Diplo called "Set It Off" uh, years ago. I think almost four years ago now. Um, is that the stripper pole like, one? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like this infinite mm-hmm. stripper pole, um, and uh, I don't know. It's just it's it's very near and dear to my heart because I I I solely put together all the posts on that and just like sat for quite some time. Like I think they gave me like almost two months or something because of the the budget was so small and I just kind of, you know, turned that, that time into, uh, you know, as many crazy scenes as I could and as much, you know, stabilization of our shots as I could and just trying to really, uh, um, you know, make the video exactly how I wanted it with that time. Um, so yeah, I would say that one, I just think it's a, a really fun sequence and, uh, I like to, like anyone can jump into it at any moment and, um, you know, not feel like they've lost any sort of narrative. They can just kind of, going to go with it yeah uh yeah that's awesome um well
0: so what are what are your plans for the future you got any got any big projects coming up anything you can speak about
2: um yeah i mean i think you know I've, i've just wrapped up a couple of music videos that should be coming out soon um One, I can just say was shot on the black magic cinema micro camera, um, because we needed a very small camera rig and I'll just leave it there. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it was kind of a fun way to shoot just a lot of like macro and, uh, uh, kind of, kind of object mounted, um, uh, setups. Um, yeah, that, that should be out within a few weeks, uh, from the time of this recording. So maybe out by the time it comes out. Um, Another thing I've been working on kind of generally in my team at Pumpkin Cloud has been working on is uh, uh, just virtual reality in general and just uh, really exploring kind of what that what that means to, um, you know, filmmakers and content creators and, and what we can do with that new technology. Um, we actually initially started out with a lot of 360 degree camera rigs, you know, things like the GoPro Hero 360 rigs and mm-hmm. and uh, things like that jaunt camera and the Nokia Ozo and, and all those uh, those different rigs. Um, but we've since kind of, kind of taken a step back from that and just uh, been really immersed in, in playing around with more, um, I guess, real time rendered or game rendered game engine rendered uh, platforms like unity and unreal and uh, playing around more with, you know, 3d scanners and uh, motion capture suits and kind of the, the more, I guess, volumetric world of, um, of VR, uh, you know, and doing a lot of experimentation with, um, you know, how to kind of bring a person's performance into the VR space and allow the viewer to, you know, truly sense of, or feel a sense of immersion with them and kind of walk around them and and uh, and interact on some scale um, rather than just this, like, you know, purely passive bubble of video that I think 360 video is quickly showing itself to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of, like, been this... this this uh, this kind of tower on the horizon that we've, we've been trying to find time to um, to go towards and like kind of figure out more stuff about uh, as much as possible lately. Um, and obviously, it's changing incredibly fast and, you know, there are a ton of other people who are interested in, in it as well. So it's kind of fun to, to see everyone's uh, understanding of it kind of grow simultaneously online and everything. Um, yeah, so I'd say VR in general is definitely something that, that I'm working on a lot lately well, that's cool
1: one thing we like to end uh, every podcast on is just like what advice you would uh give to someone starting out or like advice you'd you wish you had when you started out
2: sure um I mean I would say I guess my my angle is pretty music videos specific at the moment um I would say in music videos just uh know that if you want to do this like the first videos you're going to do um no one's no one's going to trust you to do a music video until you've done a music video like that's just the the chicken and egg problem um so i would say initially if you're trying to get into that um you know identify a you know a friend or a a, uh a dj or performer friend or someone who's you know putting out good music who you think could be appropriate for a video and kind of you know basically make an investment of your own money into making that project happen you know start with a simple but Um, a simple concept but the concept that you know that you can execute to its fullest and really kind of you know show people what you what you can do and what you're made of Um, and know that you're going to go into the red on that but know that it's an investment in in your future and in your portfolio and just kind of proving to you know the next person that you talk to about doing a music video that you know look i did this one and and you know it yeah this one worked out so i'm sure one one for you guys will work out and then i think you kind of you just kind of leapfrog from there from project to project and, uh, um, you know, piece by piece continue to, to show the next label that you can, you know, that you can do this and that this is what it's going to look like. Um, and it's also about kind of proving it to yourself and the people around you that you work with that, that, uh, you know, that's kind of the work that you want to do.
0: Awesome. That's, that's some great advice. Um, wh- where can, where can people find your work, Ryan? Uh,
2: people can find my work at pompandcloud.com, p o m p a n d c l o u tcom uh, or my name, ryanstack.com, uh, R-Y-A-N-S-T-A-A-K-E.com. Awesome. And, uh, and we're on, and we're on Twitter and Instagram as well, but just as pompandcloud.
0: Great. And we'll be, uh, we'll be looking out for those upcoming music videos. I'm sure I'll see them in the Vimeo staff pick section, so... <laughs>
2: Uh, we'll, we'll see about that. for that <laughs> <laughs> But thanks for, uh, thanks. Maybe maybe the positive vibes in the universe will make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> We're sending them. All right, cool. Thanks, guys.
0: So, I mean, I, I think my my biggest takeaway from that is if you want to direct music videos like Ryan Stagg, all, all you got to do is
1: just be really smart. Yeah, just have like a real high IQ and then you'll, you'll have good stuff.
0: I heard, I heard they just, you know, We'll let anybody work at Apple, so that's probably not any indication of his intelligence.
1: Or, like, work on Google Maps.
0: Yeah. I use Google Maps, though, so I think we're pretty much on the same page.
1: I can use the zoom-in function. Until next time, I'm Keenan Wetzel.
0: And I'm Kurt Schneider. We'll see you guys next time with a new guest, some new questions,
1: and some better audio.
0: (laughs) What came on? What was that? (laughs) That
1: was Alexa. Echo!